Hello everyone, welcome to A Reason for Hope once again. Look at these two hard at work on the laptops. <laughs> <laughs> we hit the ground running They never tire. <laughs> They're here all night long. Yes. Just bringing in your questions yes. and working hard. Working overtime That's to fine. bring this broadcast <laughs> to you. They don't even eat. Sometimes they eat a handful of corn or something just to keep them going, but... Uh, other than that, they're just slaving away. Hey, it's good to see you all. Thank you. <laughs> There's for a lot us. of corn on this broadcast. <laughs> yes, there is. Yeah, very corn. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. That's probably why. Yeah. I should switch to something yeah. else. Yeah. But uh, my name's Dave Robson. I'm hosting today here on Reason for Hope. It's an hour-long broadcast, which is guided by your questions on the Bible. For the most part, you can send your questions into us through the multiple online platforms that we're on through the various chat functions, and I'll be right there receiving those questions, and we throw them out here to our guests today to delve into the Word to find the answers to those questions. So any Bible question that you have, it could be a specific verse or passage of Scripture, maybe even the Bible as a whole or Christianity, what it says about certain issues, maybe something you're going through in your life, you'd like a biblical perspective, what does God say about those things? Of course, the world is a crazy place out there. What does the Bible have to say about lifestyles and other religions and things going on in the world? Anything along those lines, as long as it's an honest question and as long as you know that the Bible is where we find the answers. We don't really want to share our opinions so much, but really as accurately as we can, what does the Lord say in his word about these issues? So we're very grateful for you tuning in and sending your questions in. Do send them in early. Uh, sometimes we do run out of time. So if you have a question, do send those in. I'll be going over those platforms in just a moment after I introduce our guest today. We have with us Pastor Scott Richards. He's a senior pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship. Good to hey see everybody. you. Hey, everybody. Yeah, you're wearing a beautiful shirt there today well thank you look at that i like that thank you a uh, hawaiian shirt would you call that i guess yeah um kind of uh showing solidarity in a sense with what's going on in maui right now i don't know if you heard about that but i haven't three major that. fires are burning in maui hawaii right now oh man um, there's talk about the fact that they all showed up at the same time being an indication of arson uh oh, lahaina town uh where uh my wife pam lived before we got married that's right uh boy front street and uh the iconic banyan tree in uh in lahaina town it burned down uh it was so uh, bad the fire was so intense that uh, people were literally fleeing off the beach into the water and had to be rescued by the coast guard wow. in lahaina town oh uh, so uh be definitely praying yes. uh, for our good friends there our good friends at Kumalani Chapel and the other Calvaries that are there, yeah. uh, that uh, they'd not only be protected and watched over by the Lord, but they'd um, have opportunities to be able to extend uh, God's grace and compassion during this time. Really yeah. heartbreaking it is. circumstance. Yeah, well, thank you for making us aware of that so we can be praying and for uh, your support in your, your uh, shirt there, Aloha shirt. Yeah, just, just reminded me to do that. Yeah, so. which is kind of a Calvary thing too, huh? Yeah. A Calvary to wear. Yeah. It is kind of a, Hawaiian our culture. priestly vestments, <laughs> it is, if you yeah. will. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. We'll certainly be praying for that. Also with us, Pastor Sean Richards as well. You're doing good today. It's good to see you. Yeah. Ready for action. Yeah. I know. Action is what we always get. We never know where the yeah. show's going to go. Seems to go really quickly too. But um, well, thank you. Thank you for being here, for making yourself available. As, as I mentioned, uh, we're with you live uh, right now on multiple platforms. We're with you. Um, let me put uh, my laptop here so you can see what I'm talking about. There we go. Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. We're here in Tucson, Arizona. Don't be fooled by my accent. We are here in the in the Wild West. Um, if you're in the Tucson area, um, you're, you're welcome to come check us out at Calvary Christian Fellowship. That's where we're broadcasting uh, from. If you're looking for somewhere to fellowship, 
you're welcome to come along. You can go to our website there, calvarychristianfellowship.com, and you can find all the details that you need to know. But we're streaming there live right now as well. If you go to that Watch Live tab, that will take you to our live page. Anytime we're live, uh, we stream there. We stream our services there, and of course this show Monday through Friday as well. So because we're online, you'll see a video. You can sign in with a username, and that's one way you can send your question in to us, and I will be receiving those loud and clear, Lord willing. When we're offline, you'll see a countdown to our next show, and you'll see a schedule of upcoming events, so you won't have to miss anything there. So the direct link for that, ccftucson.online.church. You can type that right into your address bar in your web browser, or follow the link from calvarychristianfellowship.com as well. That will take you to the same place. We're live on Facebook as well. If you're on Facebook, look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson or facebook.com slash Tucson. We go by CCF for short because we're cool like that. Um, we're live there. Don't forget to like and, and uh, like our page and share us around, that kind of thing. We'd appreciate that to, to grow the ministry here. And that's another way. Send your question in on the chat function attached to the video. I will keep my eye there as well for your questions coming on in. We have an app for your mobile device. If you look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson in your app store, whether it's an iPhone or Android or iPad, those kind of things. Uh, look for that red background with the white Calvary Chapel Dove logo. That's our app. And you can watch us on your mobile device. And then we have a channel on Roku and Apple TV as well. So go to your channel store. Look for, you've guessed it, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. And uh, you can watch us on your big screen as well. We're live on YouTube as we speak as well. Look for A Reason for Hope. That is the name of the channel there on YouTube, A Reason for Hope. We'll find us live. Don't forget to like and subscribe and all that good stuff. Click on the notification bell if you'd like a little, uh, little notification when we're live so you won't have to miss a thing. Um, and if you go to that live tab right there, anytime we have gone uh, live, it's archived right there. So if you missed a show or you just want to recap something, that's a good place to find it. And of course, like I say, we're live there right now. You can send your question in on the, the chat uh, the chat function that's the comment section that's attached to the video, and I will be watching there as well. And our pastor Scott right here is on Twitter. Scott R for H is his handle. Scott, letter R, number four, letter H, where he posts all kinds of stuff, uh, highlights from the show, and also commentary on, on world events and things going on in the world. I get a lot of my kind of news uh, new skews from him so i'm grateful grateful that he does that so if you're on twitter follow along with scott there um it will be very informative i'm sure we're on rumble as well if you're on that platform look for a reason for hope bible q a uh, on rumble we don't we're not live there right now but we um do post videos there for your enjoyment as well and then our email address questions for hope at gmail.com that's questions for hope spelled out with letters at gmail Dot com. You can send us a question there. We'll be getting those as well. Uh, welcome if you listen to us on the radio, Reach Radio or one of the other radio affiliates. Uh, but keep in mind that we are not live with you. Uh, you're listening to the show we did yesterday, pre-recorded, or the last show we did pre-recorded. So we're not live with you per se. But uh, keep that uh, email address in mind, questionsforhope at gmail.com. And you can send your question in that way, and we'll get to it on our next show. And then consider joining us on one of those live video platforms when you're not on your drive time or for whatever reason you're listening to us on the radio but we're glad you found us we're glad you're listening or watching however you have tuned in and once again send your questions in we love it when you do and we will try to get to as many of those on the show today as we can well with all that all that housekeeping stuff pastor scott would you like to pray i would love to pray yeah well yeah, yeah. i will not stand in your way okay father we come <laughs> to you now and Lord, uh, wherever we are in the world, uh, Lord, it is just amazing to see 
online and on television uh, what our brothers and sisters may be going through in a, in a very difficult set of circumstances. So we remember the people of Maui before you. We pray, Father, that you would uh, be with and protect the firefighters, the first responders that are dealing uh, with this crisis. Lord, we pray for the safety and security of the people that are being evacuated and uh, even under the extreme circumstances described earlier, Father, uh, I pray that uh, you would uh, mercifully intervene in this set of uh, circumstances. Lord, uh, I pray you'd reveal the individual uh, or individuals who, who did this, and uh, I pray that justice uh, would prevail. I pray, Father, that even in that justice, perhaps you would turn them around from a life of destruction to a saving knowledge of you. And uh, Lord, we give you all these details into your hands. Uh, Father, we commit this broadcast to you. We pray that we would speak your truth, your whole truth, and nothing but your truth on all the questions that come in, each and every one of these priceless, precious questions of the heart that uh, people come to this broadcast with and, and submit to us. I pray we not see them trivially or as uh, something we've dealt with before, but uh, your word is uh, fresh and new every morning, as are your promises. And so, Lord, we pray that freshness, that filling of your Holy Spirit would rest upon us and bring you glory. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you for that. Amen. Amen. Well, you shared about Hawaii. Is there anything else you'd like to share going on in the world? Sometimes you give us a bit of a... Well, uh, a couple things uh, we'd like to uh, share with you. I just thought it was a fascinating uh, development. A couple of stories really caught my eye. Uh, as you all know, I regularly visit the Jerusalem Post website uh, as a go-to place for finding out what's happening in Israel, as well as allisrael.com, our good friend Joel Rosenberg's news site. Uh, if you don't go to those places on a regular basis, as well as Behold Israel, uh, our uh, uh, wonderful friend Amir Safadi, uh, it does just a great job on all of these things. And he's got a, uh, I guess, a uh, channel on Telegram, that platform. Uh, that you can look to him for uh, updates on. Uh, but uh, the Jerusalem Post, place I go, and, you know, again, major newspaper, really respected uh, purveyor of the news of the day. I was uh, fascinated, though, uh, by two stories that ran back-to-back -back on the Jerusalem Post today. One of them was a story that said, uh, because of climate change, Iran uh, will have to cut its population by 70% by the year 2050 because it will be uh, virtually uninhabitable and mm. the water supplies and so forth will dry up because of climate change. I, I thought that was a uh, fairly speculative article and uh, again whatever your uh, views are on uh, man-made uh, climate interference uh, we all have to admit that a lot of the uh, predictions and prophecies that have been made uh, about, uh, say, uh, individuals uh, growing up uh, by this year uh, would never know snow. Well, uh, yesterday I read an article where ski season finally came to an end in California. <laughs> they finally closed down the last ski resort up in uh, the Sierras, uh, not because there was no more snow, but just not enough snow to ski on. Mm. So that's quite a bit of snow still floating around out there. Mm. But uh, we were assured that that was not the case. Uh, you know, again, I was raised to be very environmentally conscious, and uh, I can remember uh, a, a family uh, that we knew in California that uh, took some uh, climate change predictions to heart uh, back in the 70s. Then a new ice age was coming. They even left their home in Southern California, moved here to Tucson, because they felt uh, they were so convinced of this that uh, they could best survive the coming ice age. 
uh, in this particular environment. Well, as we all know, the ice age hasn't come, and then it was global heating, then global cooling, and, and so on. Uh, you know, you see these sort of things, and it, it reminds me, I think, of uh, what uh, the uh, famous uh, British Prime Minister and philosopher Walpole once said, the surest prophets make uh, sure of the events first before they predict them. Mm. Uh, and so we're seeing that. Uh, is Iran going to be uninhabitable for 70% of its population by 2050? You know, personally, uh, I can't even tell what our monsoon is going to do in the next seven or eight hours. And I've lived here for quite a while. So, uh, you know, I was those things with a grain of salt. But what really hit me was the very next story uh, was this, is a chilling prediction by Nostradamus now coming true? Nostradamus predicted 2023's record-breaking European heat wave, yeah. ancient prophecies realized amid scorching temps and mass tourist exodus, with an exclamation mark, by the way. Also known as summer. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, uh, again, the article talks about Nostradamus, if you're not familiar with him. Uh, he uh, published a book called uh, Les Prophecies uh, almost 500 years ago. Uh, some have claimed that Nostradamus predicted uh, the French Revolution, the rise of Hitler, the dropping of the A-bomb on Japan. Others take a look at Nostradamus's quatrains, that is uh, poems that he arranged in uh, four-line sentences, and came away with the prediction that Queen Elizabeth II would pass away in 2022. Uh, but according to the Jerusalem Post, it seems that one of his predictions for 2023 has come true, among several other frightening prophecies, we are told. Alluding to the hot weather and rising sea temperature, he wrote, like, yeah, here's the prophecy, okay? Uh, I mean, this is gold standard. You mean you're going to actually like, read it? Like the sun, the head shall shall sear the shining sea. The Black Sea's living fish shall all but boil. When Rhodes and Genoa half-starved shall be, the local folk to cut them up shall toil. I mean, I guess it's not a limerick, but it's... It's poetic. It's, it's, it's close. Yeah. Uh, according to the Jerusalem Post article, uh, the Greek island of Rhodes is one of the places that has been affected by the current heat wave in Europe with temperatures reaching... 40 degrees Celsius. What is that Fahrenheit, Dave? Oh, gosh, don't put me on the spot. Yeah, right. <laughs> 40 degrees is about 103 or so. Okay. Is it? Thanks, uh, fires that broke out on the island have caused British tourists to abandon their vacation and fly home. Nostradamus <laughs> predicted that. Uh, again, uh, Sally Irwin, who visited Rhodes with her teenage sons, told the Daily Star, it makes you feel faint and dizzy. It could make you feel unwell, and we lost our appetites. We couldn't eat much. In the future, if I went somewhere in Southern Europe, I would go in May and avoid July and August. Yeah. Well, <laughs> let me tell you something. I know a little bit about uh, at least one quarter of the world there. Uh, people ask, well, why aren't you going back to Israel until 2025? Well, one of the reasons that we weren't going back to Israel until 2025, among other factors, was in 2025, we could go back to Israel in March. Hmm. Now, the other dates that were available with the tour guides and the accommodations and so forth would have put us into June in Israel. Well, I can tell you something about June in some places in Israel. Uh, first of all, the Sea of Galilee is located uh, below sea level. Mm. And uh, boy, the city of Tiberias, if you check online, uh, has temperatures roughly somewhere between Phoenix and Tucson oh. during that time. Mm. 
so any uh, travels, traveling and visitation around the Sea of Galilee during that time, especially because you're near a body of water, very humid, very yeah. hot, yeah. not very comfortable, very difficult because you're walking a lot. You're outside, yeah. So <laughs> June on the Sea of Galilee, mm, not really my cup of tea. Yeah. Uh, you go down to the Dead Sea, and I would defer to uh, my fellow uh, Israel tourist veteran, Sean, mm. Uh, the Dead Sea in June, would you think that there'd be many people who'd want to go to Masada or some of the other sites you see down there? No more as many people that would want to visit here at that time of year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it would be like coming out here in June and saying, hey, let's go, uh, you know, uh, hike the width and length of Sabino Canyon. Yeah. People would be like, no, thanks. Maybe not. Yeah. You know, and especially when you take a look at a site like En Gedi, which is like Sabino Canyon in a lot of ways beautiful place but uh, we were there in was it in may yeah, yeah it was may and even there you're kind of on the edge mm. as far as the heat goes we're used to so, it we're two sonans so right. you know <laughs> the, the the bottom line is when we see these things and we see these uh, deals about record-breaking heat and so on uh, they do have a way of coming and going but i don't think the apocalyptic knee uh, prophetic implications here are, are really warranted. Mm. You know, the question always comes up, okay, what about Nostradamus? What about these prophecies that he has made? You go online, they will do a big hoo-ha about Nostradamus and all this. Well, even the prophecy that we read to you about uh, the, uh, the so-called uh, climate change and, and so on, uh, you know, Rhodes and Genoa uh, might be going through some high temperatures, but half starved? Uh, I don't really think that's what's happened here. Uh, the Black Sea's living fish uh, shall all but boil. Uh, I understand the new catchword these days is uh, uh, not global warming, but global boiling. Yeah. Uh, that's thrown around by people. Um, no, uh, it's just not happening. You know, and so when we take a look at the prophecies of a guy like Nostradamus, I think it was Woody Allen who made a comment about Nostradamus's prophecies, about being less than impressed with them because they kind of come down to a prediction along this line. Two nations will go to war, but only one will win. Hmm. Ah, well, that definitely applies to World War II or, <laughs> you know, what's going on in Ukraine. or You know, it's just fascinating to me that uh, there are all kinds of people that will buy into... Uh, these prophecies of, uh, of Nostradamus. But, you know, again, this kind of touches base with us as believers in Christ. Uh, you know, we, we look at, uh, you know, one of the big prophecies of Nostradamus uh, that foretold supposedly the 9-11 attacks. It says this, In the year of the new century and nine months, from the sky will come a great king of terror. The sky will burn at 45 degrees. Fire approaches the great new city. Well, can we see some problems with this prophecy? Well, uh, again, uh, uh, who is the king of terror coming from the sky? Uh, well, terrorists were involved with this, but this is a singular king of terror. Mm. How does this relate to airplanes that flew into buildings? You know, right. apart from the reference to the sky, how does the sky burning at 45 degrees relate to what happened there? Uh, finally, how could you call New York a new city? probably one of the oldest cities in the United States. Right. So, uh, you know, once again, the vagueness 
of these predictions. Yeah. Uh, a couple of the applications that are clearly not speaking of, uh, there's a phenomenon called retroactive clairvoyance where people will uh, look at something written beforehand and try to fold, spindle, and mutilate it to work into some modern event. Well, you know, once again, uh, what's our point of view to be as Christians? Because this stuff is being put forward by major respected news organizations and such. Uh, you know, why would you want to put your trust in, say, a Nostradamus? Gene Dixon, the famous astrologer, uh, was famous for warning John Kennedy not to go to Dallas. That was her big prediction. But she also predicted that the United States and China would go to World War III over Kimoy and Matsu, and that never happened. Mm. Uh, the, the bottom line is this, the book of Deuteronomy chapter 18. Sean, what is the test of a true prophet that we find there? It's either 100% right or 100% wrong. Someone's either speaking in the name of God and that doesn't come to pass. It's not from God because he gets his facts straight. Or if they can, quote unquote, perform signs and miracles, and even that suspect, but for the sake of the audience who are convinced by whatever's being done or said, if they are in direct conflict with the truth, then they're not to be heeded either. Doctrine, substance, what's actually said right. is more important than even a well-reputed source of insights into the future. Because let's be as generous as possible and note that these Nostradamus prophecies weren't as vague as they actually are. That they would mention Hitler by name, not with a lisp. Yeah, that they would. History, that they would. Yeah, and note, Nostradamus was living at the time where Islam and its tendencies towards terrorism was well known. He would specifically cite them out and saying, you know, two pillars would be reduced to uh, dust and so forth. Something actually concrete, something like Isaiah 45. If he failed in one prophecy, then whatever God he was speaking in the name of was luck, yeah. not divine. Yeah. And, and uh, again, that prophecy about 9-11 was borrowed from four different sources, yeah. independent of each other and stapled together mm. uh, to make a prophecy. Yeah. So where should we be as far as prophecy and the predictions of the future we find in the Bible? Well, you know, again, in the book of Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 19, we are told that we have the prophetic word made more sure, in which you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns, and the morning star rises in your heart. God's uh, fingerprint, if you will, his verification, his signature on the authenticity of the Bible uh, gets involved in the area of predictive prophecy. Mm -hmm. God lays down the gauntlet. Who can predict as I do? Saying, uh, predicting the end from the beginning, the things that have not taken place as if they'd already come to pass. 103 specific Old Testament prophecies fulfilled in the life of Jesus. Mm -hmm. I mean, specifically. Uh, you don't have to fold them, spindle them, or mutilate them. You don't have to uh, combine them together out of context. Yeah. Uh, you know, we find that uh, wherever God has something upon which to base our faith, inevitably there is a deceptive counterpart that is put mm. forward by the wicked one in this fallen world system. So I, I think that's uh, uh, a very important thing for us to uh, understand. Yeah, absolutely. So, Thank you. Yeah. So I just, uh, doing the research reading these articles for you so you don't <laughs> have to. That's great. That's great. I like the audio yeah. version. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Well, we have some questions coming in if you go yeah, ready let's, to jump let's in. Yeah, dive in. Um, this is a question from Hen that we actually uh, dealt with yesterday as well, but I know it's a really common question, so let's do it again, I say. Uh, can we lose our salvation? A huge question. What does it mean to endure to the end? Is there a level of sin 
that God will not tolerate. So can we lose our salvation? What does it mean to endure to the end? Okay, yeah, the second half I think is interesting because there's a number of senses that Scripture uses that phrase. He who endures to the end will be saved is probably the one most right. relevant here, but that's spoken in a very specific time and setting. Uh, let's note that for a moment. Uh, when it comes to can you lose your salvation as opposed to eternal security, uh, we mentioned yesterday that the reason we have security is because we believe in a God big enough to save us. The smaller your God is, the less capable you believe that he will be able to save you. The grander your sin, and perhaps even grander than the God you believe saved you, will ultimately counterbalance. Now note, reality doesn't change based on your perception of it, but our emotions can run, uh, I guess, wreak havoc with us when we give them more credit and influence than they're due. When it comes to what the Bible says about not taking our salvation for granted, which is what usually inspires these kinds of attitudes, the first thing we need to recognize is when these are being addressed, it's not to the kind of person worried about it, it's the kind of person who's taking it for granted. Let's note that point. Uh, Passages that you can look up on your own time are obviously 2 Corinthians 6, 1 through 2, Hebrews 10, 38, Romans 10, 9, and John 3, 16 through 17. Now, you may recognize two or three of those and wonder, what does that have to do with not taking your salvation for granted? Those are all passages about how salvation is attained in the first place. We'll all cite together the last one I mentioned. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son in the world to condemn the world, that the world through him might be saved. Now, when we're talking about the terms and conditions of our salvation, it's centered on the Son, what the Son has done. The condition of our salvation isn't what we do, but what he's done. And if that's our framework, then other passages come to light. You can look these again up on your own time. John 6, 37 through 40, John 8, 51, Romans 10, 9 through 11, Romans 5, 6 through 11, Hebrews 10, 39, Philippians 1, 6, and Titus 3, 5, to name a few. But when it comes to the passages that we can throw your way, if our mindset is insistent on the fact that we aren't saved, that your goal in going to Scripture is to convince yourself you're not saved, you'll find it because you're not objectively reading the text. When it comes to the witness of history, the idea to save us was God's, not ours. We were dead in our trespasses so yeah. according to yeah. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3. Incapable of needing or desiring or being aware of the fact we needed help. So if that's our ongoing status before God, what changed that? It was God's direct intervention. The bigger your God, the more capable you believe of not only saving you, but keeping you saved. This is why those of the Calvinist bent tend to be the ones who are the most passionate proponents of eternal security, because to their credit, they emphasize a very big God. Now, when it comes to the flaws or the other aspects of that belief system, you can ask on your own time. But this is the point of emphasis we need to hammer home and will time and time again. If your God is too small to save you, you probably won't think that he will. But the reality is God is big enough to not only save you, but as Philippians 1.6 says, complete the, complete the work that he began in you. However, those passages that are oftentimes used as sobering reminders that were being dangled over hell like a, 
um, the the old uh, sermon goes, like a spider on the end of a thread over an yeah, open Jonathan flame. Yeah, Jonathan Edwards. Yeah. And, and on and on. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. Right. Yeah, and, and it's a not legit- seeker sensitive. Yeah, <laughs> no. it's, a, it's a legitimate message, no, no. but the yeah. the picture is vivid. When people think that God is this way, when they look at passages, and they mentioned it, so we'll address that specific passage. He who endures to the end will be saved. What is in mind there, and how does that jibe, or at least how is its handling jibed with the rest of Scripture? Well, the context of it is Matthew chapter 24. Uh, in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is describing uh, the conditions that would lead up to the time of his return. He says, For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows or birth pains. They will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended and will betray one another and hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, when people take that as to refer to being saved, they'd say salvifically your relationship with God. Maybe to the credit of those who would be more biblically oriented, they would look at the immediate prior verse and note, well, if I allow my love to grow cold, that's going to be part and parcel with what Jesus warned against. If we don't forgive our uh, others, our Father in heaven, Matthew 6, won't forgive us our trespasses and so forth. Right. Now, that's, again, a little... Uh, cherry-picky, but when it comes to the actual handling of the passage, what are the sort of things we're being saved from? It's noting what? False prophets, pestilences, plagues, all kinds of judgments going on in the world. So there is room for both positions, to the credit of those who'd argue either side, that when that passage says, he who endures to the end will be saved, it's not saying, well, you have to hold on to your salvation till the last moment, because you can abandon it at any time. Mm. Well, we do note there are examples of people who claim to have been believers in God and abandoned him. There are people in history who seem to be saved and ultimately showed that they were another person. Even people like Charles Templeton, who once professed a saving relationship with God, even once preached their it, ministry, yeah. 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 but ultimately ended their lives as angry, bitter Reddit forum atheists. So what do we do to explain this? Well, understanding, again, salvation is with Jesus. It's in Jesus. It's through Jesus. If you have the Son, again, going back to John chapter 3, you have life. If you do not have the Son, you do not have life, but the wrath of God abides on him, or you, if, depending on who I'm speaking to. So the point of emphasis is that if we want to know if we're saved, we don't fear hell. We look to what heaven is, being with Jesus. Hell might, in proper perspective, be a sobering reminder of that as well. It's without Jesus, without an abiding relationship with him forever. But the point being made is just that. If you want to know where your salvation is, find the one you find it through, and that's our Lord. Everything else is going to sort itself out in time, even your emotions. Maybe not right away, but we want to make sure we're not dictated to by our feelings. We want to settle with the facts and let our emotions get off in their own time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, you know, the only thing I'd add uh, about this uh, controversy whenever it comes up is, uh, boy, I'll tell you, if I had a dime for every minute that I spent, like in seminary and what have you, debating this subject yep once saved always saved versus can you lose it right well i'd be a wealthy man but one day it just dawned on me 
that uh, both sides of this controversy are attempting to explain a phenomena that a lot of people find disturbing in their walk with God. Someone that professed faith in Jesus, mm -hmm. who, like you mentioned, Sean, was like Charles Templeton or, or uh, other issue, uh, people we could mention. Boy, in Jesus' time, was Judas Iscariot. Yep. Um, you know, one of the 12 that was sent out, you know, did miracles, followed Jesus, all these other things, and lo and behold, what did he end up being? You know, how do you, how do you reconcile or explain a Charles Templeton, who at one point was the, considered the Billy Graham of Canada. At another point, he's writing a book called Farewell to God, where he mocks Christianity. Yeah. Well, the Can You Lose It side has a very easy explanation mm -hmm. for that. Templeton at yeah. one point was saved, yep. but at someday he said farewell to God, hence the title of the book, mm -hmm. and God took him up on the offer. He yeah. lost his salvation. The once saved, always saved side would look at a guy like Templeton and say, whoa, 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 whoa wait a minute. How do you know he was really saved in the first place? Right. God honors his word, doesn't necessarily honor the person that, that is sharing it. Maybe just phoning it up mm -hmm. for, you know, who knows how long. Finally couldn't keep up the pretense, and the real Templeton came out. How do we know that? Because uh, we believe in what's called the perseverance of the saints, that uh, if you were saved, God is going to finish that good work in you. So, you know, the interesting thing is both sides will debate and they'll marshal up their scriptures. But the one thing that dawned on me one day was this. In a real way, both sides are saying the same thing. Mm -hmm. Both sides look at a guy like Charles Templeton and they would both come to the conclusion that this guy needs Jesus. Mm -hmm. Neither side, I think, would say, well, you know, he prayed a prayer one day and he worked for Billy Graham and uh, with Billy Graham and all this stuff, so I'm sure he's okay. Right. Uh, you know, if you're invited to be at his uh, deathbed, I'm sure those who uh, are once saved, always saved, would say, you know, Charles, it's time for you to get right with God. Uh, yeah. The you can lose it side, came to that same deathbed, would say the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. Charles, it's time for you to get right with God. Yeah, and I think it all comes back to, uh, you know, a famous uh, statement that uh, Pastor Chuck Smith made that brought a lot of clarity to the issue for me. He said, I believe in the eternal security of those who abide in a living relationship with Jesus. But I also believe in the eternal insecurity of those who don't abide in a living relationship with Jesus. Right. Now, as a pastor, kind of getting down to brass tacks, I don't want to come alongside someone who's, you know, say, committing adultery on their, their wife and party harding and, you know, uh, involved with the drug trade or you name it. And uh, they go, oh, wait a minute, though. I, I, I uh, raised my hand at an altar call at your church. I'm sure I, I, I would ask, oh, well, <laughs> you raise your hand. Yep. You know, you prayed the prayer. I'm sure you're okay. Mm -hmm. Party on. No, no, <laughs> I, would not, I would not give that person false assurance. But neither would I want to come to somebody with a tender conscience and say to that person with that tender conscience, Oh man, you know, if you're really not sure, you know, and you, you know, looked at something on the internet you shouldn't have looked at, well, I'm sure you're not saved. You need to get saved all over again. Yeah. Well, those are great for statistics on rededication, but yeah. I don't think it helps anybody. Yeah, true. You know, the, the bottom line is uh, we, there are some people that want a deal with God. That's how they look at their salvation. Right. I did this, therefore, God is obligated to me to keep up his end of the bargain. Mm -hmm. I prayed the prayer, I raised my hand, I filled out the comment card, therefore God is obligated to do this to me. 
irrespective of anything that I do. Yeah. Okay. The other side of it is, is to say, no, I don't have a deal with God. I have a relationship with God. Mm-hmm. I have a love relationship with right. God. And any love relationship is going to change the way you behave. Right. If it doesn't Hopefully. change the way you behave, chances are it's not a love relationship. Ask any bachelor who gets married about the changes that have to go on once you get involved with marital bliss. Uh, but you do it. Why? Because you love that other person. You don't want to be a constant irritant to them. You don't want to do things, you know, even beyond that, that would break their heart. Uh, you do things in harmony with the relationship. It's not a got to, it's a get to. And, and so if we don't frame our relationship with God in that way, we're going to be constantly involved with this debate. Right. But I yeah. think the way to settle it is just to say, you know, I love you, Lord, and I want to be close to you. He has shown you, a man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You know, I I do those three things because I love the Lord. I'm going to have great assurance in my Mm -hmm. walk with God. Yeah, true. Uh, If I blow those things off, well, you know, all bets are off. Yeah. And maybe rightly so. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, that makes sense. Very good. Well, thank you, Ham, for that question. It's a great question, a common question, and a very good one. Thank you uh, for asking it. Uh, we have greetings from Hawaii from uh, Mayaki. Sorry, I'm sure I'm butchering your name. It's a beautiful name. Um, asks, uh, and you kind of touched on this on your intro, but the wildfires are these signs of the end times. Is climate change a part of Bible prophecy, um, like scorching the earth and that kind of thing? You talked about this a little bit in the intro, but. No, it's a scheme for government to seize power. When it comes to the nature <laughs> of. Okay, we end settled times that prophecy, one. <laughs> right, when it comes to the nature of end times prophecy, obviously people look piecemeal at certain aspects, like, for example, you mentioned Revelation 16, that the sun caused the. Uh, well, it was caused to scorch the earth with fire, and men cursed God because of the plague. Um, obviously not helpful, by the way, if you're wondering the procedure in response to the wrath of God. If you're being punished for blaspheming God and you blaspheme God, it's about as productive as a kid getting spanked for swearing, and he starts swearing in the process. It, 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 I, I can't say it from experience, but it just doesn't make sense. <laughs> uh, when it comes to what we call newspaper eschatology. Eschatology meaning the study at the end times. It's very reactionary, it's very sloppy, and it ultimately ends up causing, a la 1 Samuel, the enemies of God to further blaspheme him because we say everything's a fulfillment, then nothing is. We want higher expectations for fulfilled prophecy. And while what you and your countrymen are going through in Hawaii right now, which again, we're grieving for you, is part and parcel of living in a fallen sinful world, wildfires in California and Oregon, uh, the hurricanes that take place in the southeastern uh, United States, the uh, locust swarms that take place periodically in the Middle East and so forth, the famines that happen cyclically in the Asiatic countries, uh, even man-made disasters like the Fukushima disaster or Chernobyl, all of these things are part and parcel of either A, things that we've done be things that are just a part of a world in rebellion against God, or simply put, are, like we would say, foreshadowings of a much bigger event. Now, when we see our world, quote-unquote, encased in fire and smoke, mm-hmm. it's like Bo Olet, I'm sure, would uh, attest, a very easy to say, wow, this is it. <laughs> it's the end of the world because as we know it. Mm-hmm. And he feels fine. fine. Yeah. But uh, the interesting thing with Bo's experience, again, he was in the middle of something even more directly 
applicable, like uh, Matthew set or Matthew twenty four notes, earthquakes yeah. would be a sign of the of the end times. He was miles away from the epicenter, a yeah, half a mile, yeah. and, and had his apartment complex caved in all around him, and he just basically just had to see if he lived for the next few yeah. moments before the fallout took or hit. Mm-hmm. So the he point moved to Tucson knew, after that, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Don't, I can't imagine. I wonder why. what made that decision. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it made it a lot easier. What was the clincher? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but that's the the thing we need to avoid when it comes to seeing the world be the world, and then looking at prophecy, saying it's continuing to head that direction. That that means it's already arrived at that destination. When we read Revelation 16, what are we told? The earth is scorched with fire, and from the sun, not from three or four arsonists that got together, allegedly. But the point being made is just that. Evil people are going to evil. A fallen world is going to fallen. But when we are overwhelmed with the natural human emotion that looks at these things and says, this is not right, what we shouldn't do is co-opt God's word and then say, the only way for me to justify these emotions that see this as the end of my world is to then claim and put out a doctrine that this is the end of the world and even less helpfully use modern propaganda tools in order to get more and more people's attention about it. The fact of the matter is this, when the tribulation happens, when the second half, the great tribulation is happening, these bold judgments are poured out and I taking a futurist literal position with that in mind, it's gonna be bigger than any of our worlds could possibly encapsulate. The only thing that will ultimately leave the people who are experiencing these plagues to do is to either turn to God for mercy or cling to their God in this world, and neither ultimately are going to answer the immediate problem. So when it comes to experiencing natural disasters, and I think this is the question behind the question, what is the natural reaction we ought to have? and not going too far into A, false doctrine, or B, embracing propaganda. The fact of the matter is this. Fear is not a sin. When we experience hardship, uh, friends of ours that have experienced uh, medical trials and so forth, we grieve with them because as we saw our Lord himself modeling in John chapter 11, what did he do when his uh, best friend Lazarus and his two sisters were grieving over him when he had died from a prolonged fever? He wept. John eleven thirty five, yeah. shortest verse in the Bible, yet one of the most profound. When it comes to Paul's instructions to, I'm trying to remember which book it is, weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. Is that in Philippians? Yes. Yes. Well, Romans. Romans, thank you. It's, it's, uh, it's Paul. I'll, I'll say Paul. <laughs> I think that's uh, it's in the uh, Bible. One, out, one out of three shot. It's in here. <laughs> right, right there. See that right book? Here. Right there. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll show my jugular vein here. No, I'm not infallible. The point being made, though, is that. <laughs> yeah. We are to weep with those who weep, as much as rejoice with those who rejoice. Everyone loves an attendance to a birthday party. Not as many jump on when it comes to a funeral. But when we see this world in its state, the first thing that you need to understand is it's not wrong to feel that way. You look at your world falling around around you, and I'm repeating that because we understand the severity of it. We've had our own experiences. It should be something you see, and as an echo of Eden, recognize this is not right. But then what's step two? Like scripture dictates in weeping with those, you pursue community, you seek fellowship with people who've suffered in the exact same way, 
even immediately out to you and use that as an opportunity not only to receive but relate the comfort that you yourself need because what does first or second corinthians one say if we are partakers of the comfort what is the prerequisite that if we comfort others, right. we also partake of the consolation. Right. So note that point. Make sure that you don't isolate yourself with that legitimate hurt. The third answer is to go to Jesus and with the expectation of him writing this world gone wrong, we harbor what's called not happiness, but joy, hope fulfilled an expectation of things to come, because like Paul said, I won't mention specifically, because again, I don't remember at this very moment, <laughs> what does a man hope for if what he sees? Yeah. No, we wait for it with eager perseverance. Perseverance is another word for patience, and patience, if you've ever tried it, not always easy. Yep. But in the face of these kinds of disasters, note those three things. First, don't jump to false doctrine and propaganda. Let the emotions be emotions. Second, seek community, especially among fellow believers, but even perhaps use it as an opportunity for outreach, because as you seek to comfort others, God has a way of uh, filling in the cracks in your own frame, so to speak. And third, and most importantly, look up, because the more that we recognize we need saving, like natural or man-made disasters, they ultimately bring us back to the place we need to be, and that's at the foot of the cross. That's right. Right on. to that. Well, we're praying for you out there in Hawaii. Miyaki, that's your name? I hope I'm saying it somewhat somewhat near to what it is. But uh, our hearts are with you guys. Thanks for being part of the the broadcast. Always love to hear from our uh, listeners there in paradise. Absolutely. In paradise, indeed. Yeah. 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 So thank you for that. Hope that helps you out. A question from Dob Does Satan know he is going to lose in the end? If so, why does he try? Does he try to just wreak havoc, or is it that he doesn't know he's going to lose in the end? What are your thoughts on that? We know he knows God's word because he quotes it to Jesus in order to try to deceive him. Mm -hmm. As far as the nature of pride, in a nutshell, it's self-deception. So if, as the caricature, the foundation, the first embodiment of the anti-God attitude, the willful deception of yourself and others, someone who was, as Jesus said, a liar from the beginning, a murderer and the father of lies, then we're talking about someone who's, I guess, a victim of his own personality. If he is deceptive by nature, he isn't exempt from that. So why would Satan try? Because again, I think that he believes in his perfect wisdom and beauty, is able to surpass God. He's going to see that through to the end, because in his pride, he is willing to deceive himself that far. Yeah, or it may just be a question of bitterness. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. I've known people that uh, have just decided, well, if I'm going down, I'm taking everybody with me. Uh, And uh, I think that there could be an element of that. Uh, In in, uh, Revelation chapter 12 and uh, verse 10, Uh, We're told a very interesting insight into Satan's psyche, especially during the tribulation period. It says, uh, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation, strength, and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. Mm. In other words, he's like, well, this book of Revelation stuff, I don't think it's really going to take place. Oh, he knows. He knows, but he doesn't really 
care. Mm. Uh, you know, it's very interesting. You know, sometimes we say, well, you know, if you're defeated, you know, why not just cash in and, you know, give up and so on. Uh, you know, there was a lot of uh, controversy over the movie Oppenheimer that was out about the, uh, the construction and the dropping of the atomic bomb. Mm. Uh, Little Man and Fat Boy uh, dropped on uh, Nagasaki and Hiroshima, uh, uh, respectively. And the big debate always comes up, well, you know, historically, wasn't Japan about ready to surrender? And, you know, Truman said that he did that because an invasion of Japan, they did the statistics on it, and the mm. amount of dead would just be uh, horrendous and so on. But a lot of people are really skeptical about that. Well, you know, historically, when you take a look at it, even after uh, the bomb was dropped on uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, uh, the uh, cabinet under the emperor uh, was split three to three mm. as far as surrendering or not. And you have to mm. understand the Japanese uh, lived under what was called the Bushido Code, where uh, dishonor and surrender uh, were just considered the most horrible things that could ever happen to you. An honorable death far was to be em embraced more than a comfortable life through mm. compromise. And that's why you saw people committing harikiri and, and these ritual things and so on. Mm -hmm. um, the idea that Japan would surrender, uh, you know, and uh, that uh, the cooler heads would prevail only happened when the emperor of Japan himself broke the tie. Mm -hmm. So it was four to three as far as surrendering or continuing to fight against overwhelming force. Did the Japanese know they would be defeated? I don't think there were anybody's morons, especially after those two events, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. They realized how outgunned, how outmanned they were. Right. Did that mean they were going to surrender? Absolutely not. Yeah. They would have fought, I believe, almost to the last man. You know, you're more familiar with Japanese culture. I think it's a pretty good assessment. So same thing is true spiritually. Uh, you know, yeah. when just because you know the handwriting's on the wall, uh, that you've been defeated doesn't mean that uh, Satan's going to give up. Mm -hmm. You know, again, misery loves company. And if uh, he is going to uh, try to uh, vent his anger uh, against God, and, you know, we've talked a little bit about the different theories as to why Satan rebelled and why he was so bent out of shape and, and all of this. Uh, but, uh, you know, if you're going to go down, you're going to go down to the last moment, if you right. will, yep. even though you know it's futile. Well, maybe I can take a few more people with me. Yeah. I've yeah. still got my pride. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Yeah. Makes and sense. Will, he will be kept company by that pride forever. Abs yeah, that's right. Yeah. Cold comfort. Maybe Indeed. hot comfort. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Yeah. Uh, well, Dob, thank you for that uh, question. Hope that, that helps you out there. Uh, we have a question from Yari. Uh, do we know for certain we are saved? I heard a Christian say that uh, we believe uh, we are saved and we have faith, but we don't know for certain. Um, so endure to the end. What are your thoughts? Oh, boy. Um, if they're arguing, well, you can't know anything for certain, therefore you can't know anything, that's an absurd standard to live by because if you throw it back at them, you end up putting them in a position of 
um, the fancy words metaphysical solemnist, uh, the mindset that because you can't know anything for an absolute 100%, then the mere possibility of that last 1%, even if something's right in front of your face, you could just explain it away and say it's a hallucination. You end up introducing a standard by which you can't know anything. And, and I'm no you know, metaphysician, but that sounds like a very poor standard if it makes nothing knowable. Um, generally, I like the things that I can know, not being told I can't know anything, because how then do you know that? Yeah. So that, that's, that's yeah. the first well. problem. The, the second thing, and going back to the psalmist thing, the metaphysical psalmist is the person who believes that everything in the universe, every experience, every sensation, everything other than themselves is created by themselves for mm. the purposes of entertainment because the only thing they can know for certain is that old principle i think therefore i am yeah. so, and, and i've had conversations with these people and you think a brick wall conversation was riveting you should try it sometime but the point of emphasis that we need to take is okay if your standard is impervious to criticism if your standard is impervious to knowledge if you're you're whole claim is impervious to being questioned or objected to in any way possible, you need a new standard because even Christianity is not unfalsifiable. We put, again, expose our necks out. Here's our weakness. Jesus of Nazareth historically rose from the dead to prove he was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Being the only religious figure who proved the existence of his God by being that God, we believe him based on the reasons that we have. Now there's two ways that you can disprove all of Christianity. It's not just a, well, I believe it, therefore it's so. That's silly. That's unfalsifiable. It's what? Show us the body or show the accounts are false. Now, both can be demonstrated to any fair inquirer. But if someone then says, well, there's another explanation. What if Jesus survived crucifixion? What if the apostles made this elaborate conspiracy? Yeah, you can allow and play in the terms of the one to two percent likelihood that of all the people in history who are willing to die for their beliefs that they themselves made up, that you happen to get the one group that would all conglomerate on the same belief system together at one time in history. But you're being silly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're entering into that not just 10% likelihood, but 1% likelihood. And we can't dwell in that realm if we want to actually function as thinking human beings. So when someone throws out that idea, well, you can't know anything for certain, make them play by the rules and say, well, how do you know that for certain? Yeah. Because if you're certain about there not being any certainty, you have to be certain about your uncertainty. Are you certain? Yeah. And it's the same thing. There is no truth. Is that true? Yeah. Me, I, me, I just kind of go for the juggler. I, I think uh, what you said there is awesome. But uh, for me... But uh, let me contradict it entirely. No. <laughs> well, actually, I just add this to it. Uh, if you want to put all of that together and put a bow on it scripturally, uh, you know, I love what First John chapter 5 says. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. This is verse 11. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know, not speculate, not guess, not hope, not, you know, gee, you know, sometimes I'm in a, that you may know that you have eternal life. Mm. Yeah, the, the word know there in the original language is really interesting. It's the Greek word oida. It means to know something as a certain fact. Mm. Like, I know the sun is coming up 
tomorrow. Yeah. I know it's going to be hot in Tucson tomorrow. These things I know. Mm-hmm. Not, you know, kind of know in the sense of relationally or know in the sense of I hope so. It's, it's really that, that solid. And yeah. that's the kind of assurance that God wants us to have in our salvation. Mm-hmm. You know, I find that when I look at Jesus and what he did for me on the cross, I know I'm saved. Because how how in the world could I look at that and say it's not enough to save me? We talked about that a little earlier, right? (laughs) But when I look at me and my performance for God, well, I'm all over the place. Some days I get it. Some days I don't. Some days I do better. Some days I do worse. And if I find myself, Yari, you're going through a bout of the doubts, could be God's not so subtle tap on the shoulder going, you know, Yari, uh, focus back on me and what I've done for you. Don't try to focus on anything you do for me. Uh, you can't add a single thing to what Jesus has done for you. Yeah, amen to that. Uh, real yeah. quick, um, Rich, uh, Hawaii resident, by the way, uh, made a very awesome comment. I want to read it before we sign out. Um, he doesn't discount the possibility of arson in the current wildfires. They do have a history of that. But right now I'm focused on putting them out and saving lives. Mm. Bingo. Yeah. Yeah, very and Rich good. is a first responder. Oh, wow, wow, wow. So if I am not mistaken. Yeah. So pray for Rich and pray for the rest of the first the responders of the that are Absolutely. medical volunteers. Yeah, he's helping that. people. Yeah, very yeah. good. Well, we're yeah. the end of our show here, but we're going to be going live again in just about 30 minutes for our service here at Calvary Christian Fellowship. We're Exciting study book, tonight. Book of yeah, give Ezekiel. us a quick 30-second. Uh, yeah, 30-second uh, synopsis. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you have a fallback position, you're going to probably fall back on it. We're going to take a look at the number one fallback position Israel had throughout its history. Mm that kept them from really trusting God. Wow. And it's embodied in, in a very interesting nation. So we'll explore that and Egypt. talk about our fallback uh, positions and, yeah. uh, and uh, how we sometimes will put these things in as a way to keep from trusting God. Mm. But God's ruthless. He'll take them all away. Yeah. Well, that sounds fascinating and, yep. and interesting and helpful as well. So stick around. I'd say 30 minutes. We'll be going live again. Same channels with our service here. Uh, Thank you for being part of the show. We'll see you back here again, same time, same place tomorrow. God bless you. God bless you. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.